Executive Director of Illinois Right to Life. And today we have a very special guest. We have my predecessor, the one who helped put Illinois Right to Life on the map and improve our branding and did all the great things that made Illinois Right to Life the great organization it is today. We've got Mary-Kate Knorr, former Executive Director of Illinois Right to Life, and now the founder and director of the group Femine Vero, which has an incredible mission. So welcome, Mary-Kate. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here and talk to you. This is going to be great. So, yeah, no, I'm so glad to have you back. So I just have to say, um, since I took over this job, um, Mary-Kate is still on our board of directors, and she has been tremendously helpful to me in this new role and so forth. So thank you for that. But anyway, so, okay, tell me about um, why you're pro-life. What, what led you to working full-time in the pro-life movement for Illinois Right to Life? Yeah, um, you know, I grew up pro-life. Um, like my earliest memory of any sort of abortion or pro-life conversation is I had a friend in grade school that I remember, gosh, we had to have been in seventh or eighth grade, um, that somehow it came up in conversation that he felt himself to be pro-choice, um, which always kind of makes me chuckle when you have like an 11-year-old who's passionate about the choice versus life issue or whatever. I'm kind of like, okay, well. An 11-year-old boy, you should be thinking about baseball yeah, and, yeah, I don't whatever they... Regurgitating the comments of your parents. Exactly. That's fine. So, but that's fine. You know, I, I was doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that was also where I was coming from. So it really um, pro- provoked a lot of thought in me on an issue that I had never, had, like I said, that I had never actually had to think about before. And I remember pulling together some pamphlets um, that I put in an envelope to give to him that mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know where I got them. I, I don't know. And for whatever reason, I, I never actually gave them to him. And recently I was in, I was cleaning out my shower protector and I found the envelope and this memory came like rushing back to me of like these pamphlets that oh, wow. I put together. Yeah. For this kid. So, um, so that was like my earliest memory, but you know, I grew up going to the March for life and, um, I went with my youth group every year in high school and, um, it just kind of felt like a core issue to me. It just mm-hmm. felt like it was the first political issue that I paid any attention to. Um, and when I got to college, I was a journalism student at the University of Iowa, and I was there during the 2012 caucus, the Iowa caucus. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this, like, incredible opportunity to, you know, go to all of these presidential events, and I got to interview Newt Gingrich. I got to interview Herman Cain. Oh, wow. Personally, yeah. Yeah, like, big experience for yeah. a college student. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah. like, had no idea what I was walking into. I tell people this story of my first political event that I ever had to cover as a journalism student. I was supposed to go to a Newt Gingrich event, and I had no idea who Newt Gingrich was, why he was significant. I just knew he was running for president. And I mm-hmm. showed up at the event, and I was standing in, in, like, the lobby or, like, the atrium of the, the room, the building, and this old man came up to me and started, like, making conversation with me and was asking me all these questions, and he was dressed, you know, in a suit. He was dressed very nice, and I was, like, thinking to myself, why is this guy bugging me? Like, I've got a job to do. Uh-huh. So I kind of, like, brushed him off. <laughs> and then I went into the event, and they introduced Newt Gingrich, and I realized that the man who had been talking to me in the atrium was Newt Gingrich. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> One of my, like, journalistic, you know, failures, I guess. I, like, failed to identify my subject. But, um, yeah, so, anyway, I was a political science and a journalism student and ended up kind of taking the route of getting into communications and mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something I didn't know about you. I did not realize that you were a journalism major. That's something we have in common. Yeah, so my whole life I said I wanted to be a journalist. Uh-huh. And 
culture, I got into it and very quickly had, like, one experience after the other writing for our student newspaper. The student newspaper at the University of Iowa is, like, a very serious newspaper. (laughs) Uh We're a daily newspaper, and we, um, yeah, it was a big deal to to be part of the newspaper. And I had more than one incident in which I wrote a story, and the editor came back to me and basically said, like, we have to find a better angle here because this isn't interesting. And wanted me to, like, come up with something to, like, make it more readable mm-hmm. and like i'm not talking about like I, I'm, I'm not talking about like burying the lead i'm talking about like they asked me to go cover like an administrative meeting at the school and he wanted to find a hook that would make it controversial when it wasn't controversial and mm-hmm. i just felt like that's not my job you know like this isn't a i'm not here to i'm not here to hill state wasn't a thing at the time but i'm mm-hmm. not here to you know, make the story interesting. I'm just here to tell the truth. Right. So were you conservative and pro-life still while in the journalism school? I definitely was. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I I was definitely pro-life. I don't think I had a concept of conservative versus liberal, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny to me now because I feel like even high school students these days have an understanding of those things. I remember calling my mom and asking her, this was around the time of my new Gingrich scenario. Uh I called my mom and I asked her if we were Democrats or Republicans. Like I had, I didn't know anything (laughs) about politics. I just knew I wanted to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. decided I actually love politics and I want to be a political science major also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sorry, this is like a lot of details. Oh, well, no, that's okay. Well, no, I found this interesting because I, you know, I kind of had the same experience. When I was in journalism school, you know, this was back in the 80s, and nobody talked about whether you were a Democrat or a Republican. I mean, I didn't know until after graduation what party my best okay. friends were. But it was when I was in journalism school, it was during the, um, uh, uh, the Robert Bork yeah. Supreme Court hearings and of course you know it led to the term being borked because he got yeah. you know yeah. dismissed because he was conservative and yeah. somebody asked me about it and I gave my opinion which was you know Bork was being mistreated he was you know a constitutionalist he was somebody who was going to uphold the law and everybody looked at me like I had three heads and then I realized oh wait there's something different about me yeah. and you know I am not one in the same with these journalism students so 100%. yeah so that's I would say my experience is similar too because I also remember having a couple of interactions in the newsroom with people over. I think I went to a Ron Paul event mm-hmm. at that point too. And I mean, here's the thing: like there are people who will say that Ron Paul was never a serious candidate, but if you actually look at the man's issues and look at, I mean, first of all, he's vehemently pro-life. Yes, his pro-life story is pretty amazing mm-hmm. um, from the perspective of being a doctor. And um, yeah, I had a similar experience that people didn't, they weren't interested in honestly covering the issues that these politicians were talking about Mm -hmm. it was more so about their strategy and what people were saying about them almost like a gossip column exactly you know it was just yeah it it was really discouraging for me and I think that's why I remember I interned for the Romney campaign that following semester Mm -hmm. like a quick transition from like one to the other and um I remember working for the Romney campaign couple of interactions with a girl who was like on his communications team and she had told me she was a journalism major and I was like that's what I want to do I want to be actually working for the people who are trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. um, and that's how I got I mean I worked my campaigns for a couple of years after college after that, mm-hmm. that. Um, and I was the communications director for a congressional campaign here in Illinois and um, that candidate um, she's still around uh, Tammy Corey is her name she ran for Congress against Bill Foster. She um, 
one of her main issues was her life issues. She just really felt like there are women in the Democratic Party who don't realize that, like, I relate with them on a lot of levels, and mm-hmm. I think I can connect with them on the life issue, and I think we can start a conversation there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was successful at that. I mean, Bill Foster is deeply ingrained in the congressional culture, and that was, I think, a losing cause for us, but um, I think she was successful at that, and that's really what sparked in me as an, uh, like a young adult this passion for the life issue, because all of my time, or so much of my time, I spent writing speeches for her and doing social media for her and writing press releases for her, and mm-hmm. so many of them revolved around the life issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really how I started to kind of make a pivot of, this is actually the most important issue to me. This is actually the issue that matters more than any other issue. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, it's truly a watershed issue for our culture. Yeah. I mean, if if you don't protect the most vulnerable, all of us are, are in danger, and we are all in danger from this from this culture. So how did you end up at Illinois Right to Life? Yeah, so um, uh, I guess a couple things. I was just feeling such burnout working in politics. I, I think when I started working for campaigns, it just felt so, it was like awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. It was just like, wow, like I'm part of something so big when I'm working on these jobs. And then I did it for a couple years, and I was on a couple different campaigns, and I just felt like I am a cog in a machine. Like, I am just, like, a gear in a machine. It's exhausting work. Oh, my gosh. Exhausting work. It's just, like, grungy. You're in these, like, gross rooms. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I just, like, it was so fun the first two years, and then I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, no, it's definitely a young person's gig. I look at people who work on campaigns now and people who run for office, and I just think, oh, my gosh, how do these people do it? It's so exhausting. Yeah, it's, it's exhausting work. And it's, I mean, to a certain extent, like, it, it can get to be a little bit demoralizing, too, because you do also realize, not to be a pessimist here, but you do also realize, like, it's really hard to have an impact on the outcome of a race. Like, you have to be in a district that's pretty purple mm-hmm. to have a true effect on who's going to win and who's going to lose. And it's just tough. It, it kind of gets to the point that you're like, am I really affecting anything here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really asking myself those questions. And then um, I uh, I had just been, I had been living back in Illinois. I was in Iowa for a couple years after college. And then I, I was back in Illinois for the congressional race I worked on. And um, Governor Rauner, our, ironically, our Republican Oh, Governor Rauner. Yes. (laughs) Everyone's favorite. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He made history for all the wrong reasons. Um, He signed um, House Bill 40, Mm -hmm. allocated taxpayer funding to abortions in the state of Illinois. Basically opened the door for anybody to get a Medicaid-funded abortion in Illinois. Yep. He was the first Republican governor in U.S. history to initiate such a stunning bill. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was already at my wit's end with the Republican Party at that point, and I just felt like this guy had a real chance for us conservatives here. Like, he, he promised he wasn't going to touch social issues, which, for the what it's worth, we should have seen the writing on the wall with that. Yeah. His wife was on the board of Planned Parenthood at the time. Mm-hmm. Just, it was like something, something crazy like that. Yeah, no, yeah, I'd heard that. She was very involved in the pro-abortion movement in the yeah. state, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I was so tired of politics. I was 
so tired of campaigns and so tired of just the garbage that you have to deal with working in politics. Mm -hmm. And I um, went to a rally that, funny enough, was run by a guy who's now my very good friend who used to work for Students for Life in America. Um, um, I went to the rally down in Federal Plaza, and I was just I was just so furious. Tom Morrison was there. I think Peter Green might have been there. There was just there was a lot of people that showed up. Um, people were angry. I was angry. And I left there, and I was like, I think I have skills that the pro-lifers men could use. Like, mm-hmm. I think I could help my home state. Mm-hmm. And I went home, and I started Googling for pro-life jobs in Illinois mm-hmm. um, and Illinois Right to Life. Funny, like, again, it's so funny how this all happened because I was also just, like, in a very critical state about my career and about mm-hmm. where my life was headed. And um, I uh, came upon Illinois Right to Life's website. They had a blog post up that they were looking for an executive director. And initially, I was like, I'm 25. Like, my experience is all of politics. I don't think that I would be qualified for this. But when I actually looked at what they needed, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I think I have, in like a funny patchwork sort of way, I think I actually have all of the experience that I would need for this job. And so I reached out to Rosemary, our board president in Illinois Rights Life. And Rosemary Hackett, she's awesome. Yeah. She probably is going to hate that we're calling her yeah, out. <laughs> a very private person. Anyway, she's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. So she's a behind-the-scenes character, for sure. And, um, yeah, but I uh, I reached out to Rosemary, and funny enough, they had put a pause on the executive director search at that point, and so I didn't actually hear from them for a few months. But when I heard from, from Rosemary, it was like boom, boom, boom. Like, mm-hmm. it was like within two weeks, they were just like, hey, let's go, let's move on this. And um, I could not believe it. I mean, my entire, you know, almost three years that I worked at Illinois Right to Life, I joked everywhere I went that it was absurd that they hired me. Was 25, but I mean, it was like honestly one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my whole life. It's changed everything for me. So, yeah, and um, you did an amazing job. When I was still at Wisconsin Right to Life, I, you know, one night I was at home and I was flipping through social media and you came up as somebody I might know. And so I started following you on Instagram, I think, and saw all this. You, you were so amazing at getting Illinois Right to Life out on social media. And that's how. I learned about the organization and everything that you were doing and how my interest was first peaked. At that point in time, I never in a million years thought I would be working here. But yeah, yeah I mean, because my situation is similar. I never, yeah. everybody's heard me talk about this a million times. I never thought I would be here, but a total God thing. And the timing was just perfect. And when Rosemary, yeah, it happened really, really fast. And so, yeah, and Rosemary's a great leader. So Anyway, so um, you did an amazing job here for almost three years, like you said, but then you decided to leave. And that is what we will talk about after the break. We want to let you know about two great opportunities to learn exactly what's going on in Illinois with the abortion debate and how the upcoming Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health opinion is going to affect that. We have two Ground Zero tours coming up, one June 6th in McHenry County and another June 20th in Rockford. If you'd like to learn more, just visit our website at IllinoisRightToLife.org. Again, that's IllinoisRightToLife.org. Again, two Ground Zero tours, not one, but two, one June 6th in McHenry County and one June 20th in Rockford. We hope to see you there. 
This is Amy Gerke, Executive Director of Illinois Right to Life, and today we're joined by Mary-Kate Knorr, my predecessor, the former Executive Director of Illinois Right to Life. And um, in our first segment, she was talking about her pro-life background and how she ended up here at Illinois Right to Life. Um, but in 2020, you decided that there was something else you were going to do. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, while I was here, um, something that I really wrestled with a lot was um, it's so important to have, like, that secular voice out there talking about the life issue. Mm-hmm. I think especially because the choice, the choice, the, the abortion movement um, really tried to Mm-hmm. And so it that that's just something at Illinois Right to Life that, and I mean, I'm sure you can speak to this, that we really try to lead with the science and speak mostly about the science. I mean, I would I would talk to groups and I would talk about my Catholic faith and how that had an impact on my um, beliefs as a pro-life person. Um, but the secular voice was really necessary. Yep, yep, and that's, you know... Illinois Right to Life is, some people know, it's a nonpartisan, nonsectarian organization, so we're neither Democrat nor Republican. We are not a religious organization whatsoever. Um, you know, uh, all of us here come from different faith traditions, and it's, you know, really interesting that we're united together on this one issue. But yeah, It is. It's mm-hmm. really beautiful. Um, and it, it, that, that has been an awesome part of my experience in the coalition here, mm-hmm. seeing so many different types of people come together on a single issue. Um, but for me, I was also really experiencing like a um, a religious reawakening for mm-hmm. the first time at Illinois Right to Life. Not to say that I've not been taking my faith seriously. I've always taken my faith very seriously. But I was just going through a lot personally. Mm-hmm. And um, God was really knocking on the door of my heart. And something that I was just really desiring that I was struggling with when I was here is that I really wanted to talk about the faith piece. I really, really wanted to talk about not just the faith piece behind why uh, a human life has dignity and mm-hmm. is given to you by God and all that. What I want, really wanted to talk about was the faith piece of why abortion kills women mm-hmm. and spiritually what that means for a woman. And also, like, let's talk about the woman's whole body. Let's talk about, like, the theology of, like, the miraculous nature of her ability to bring life into the world and what that means for our relationship with God and like what God intended for that. And those are the things that I was really, really desiring to talk about. And I felt like once it was time, once we got to that point at Illinois Right to Life, I had to put a cap on it because that's not the role that we play. The role mm-hmm. that we play is just is more secular. And which is okay. Again, like we need we need that voice. Mm-hmm. I just really felt convicted that I, I want to talk about the spiritual piece of this. Like I want to talk about why we should why why the life issue matters so much for women and why all of it collectively points us back to God. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to talk about that. Yeah, and no, it's it's kind of funny. Um I've always been throughout my career in the pro-life movement over 30 years, I've been involved with organizations like Illinois Right to Life that don't have a religious component to them. But, um, you know, that being said, I always warn people, I had a radical conversion back in the 90s while working in the pro-life movement. I went from, I was having a crisis of the faith. I had been raised in the Protestant church and I actually converted to Catholicism while I was at National Right to Life in DC. So um, I always warn people, you know, the the pro-life movement, lots of stuff can happen 
happen to you that you don't expect, but there is, you know, even though we are a secular voice in the pro-life movement there, you know, you are absolutely right. There is such a spiritual component to what we're doing. And, you know, Satan's the author of death and lies and God's the author of life and working in this movement, you know, you just can't help but be pointed back to God. Cause I, you know, there was me, I've seen people go from atheist to Bible believing Christian and there's just something about this movement. So yeah. anyway, continue. Well, it's true. I mean, I think we could look at, there is a whole list of people who are at the forefront of the, of the pro-life movement who have converted, not just to Christianity, but Catholicism. Catholicism exactly. Which I think should tell us something about, well, I think it should tell us a lot of things, but. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was just, it was something that maybe struggling is even a, a strong statement. I just really, I, I started to have this vision for what would it look like if there was an organization out there that that was their role, was not mm-hmm. to just talk exclusively about abortion, but to talk about the woman as a whole person and why her sexuality and her ability to reproduce, what that means within the context of, of the Christian Catholic worldview. Mm-hmm. And so around that time, I mean, this was the height of COVID, um, and there was a lot of other things going on just in the country. This was, you know, we were just a few months out from the presidential election. And um, I had forged a friendship at the time with Kristen Hoffa, who's student pro-life. And um, she had reached out to me and invited me to be a part of their organization and a new political um, arm that they were working on. And it was it was a great opportunity at the time. And I really felt like, um, like I could maybe make my way back into politics mm-hmm. a little bit, and at the time, that was really exciting for me, um, and again, I think it's kind of the season we were all in, you know, it was, COVID was in full force, it was the height of the presidential campaign cycle, and it just felt like this is a fun and exciting new opportunity for me, and, mm-hmm. um, so I took that opportunity, um, I was with Students for Life only for about six months, and then from there, I just, this call that I felt on my heart to you know, break out into this new idea that I had for an organization was just like stronger than ever. And Mm -hmm. it was just like, it kept me up at night. I felt like I couldn't, I just went, you know, when I was laying awake at night, that's what I was thinking about, that this is what, there's a, there's a hole, there's a gap in the movement. And this is the gap. The gap is we've got the religious organizations, we've got priests for life, we've got, you know, Catholics United for life. We've got all these Catholic Christian organizations and then we've got the secular organizations, but there's nothing bringing the two together. There's nothing that's out there talking about both the science and the theology of why this issue matters. Um, mm-hmm. So I formed Family Day. <laughs> and, and here you are. So, um, uh, yeah, you, I completely agree with what you're saying about it, how important it is we understand what abortion does to women. Um, you know, Obviously, we focus on what happens to the baby, which is brutal and horrifying and disgusting. But, I mean, there's this whole generation of women who've just been devastated by their abortion experience, whether they know it or not. And, um, yeah, that was actually one of the things that, you know, that first opened my eyes to the Catholic faith was just how much the faith understands women and respects them and so forth. And. Um, one of my best friends at, at National Right to Life started out as an atheist, radical feminist, and she eventually became one of the most devout Catholic women I know. She was my sponsor when I went through RCIA. And so anyway, um, yeah, and it was because of the church's respect for women. She, her eyes were open to how the church truly does respect women and 
acknowledges the beauty of who we are and what God created us to be. So, um, so tell us about Femine Vero and exactly what you are doing with the organization and how you've grown, how you started and how you've grown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that the Catholic faith is the one true truth. I believe that it is where the whole truth lies. I think that you can find glimpses of truth and, you know, some pretty big chunks of truth in other faiths and, you know, Protestant faiths for sure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of truth. Um, but I think the Catholic truth, the Catholic faith has the whole truth. Um, I think, you know, in terms of repro- women's, the women's reproductive health, um, and I use that phrase that people always comment on that terminology because that's a more secular, I think, way, or I, that's, that's the way that we hear. It's kind of a euphemism for abortion. For yeah. Yes, that's a good way to say it. It's a euphemism for abortion. Um, but that's intentional because mm-hmm. it's, the lang- it's the correct language. I mean, we're talking about the woman's reproductive health system. Um, and I also think that it's important to use that language because I, I want to point out what a healthy reproductive system actually looks like. A healthy reproductive system is not a system that has experienced um, an abortion, although... Well, let me just say it. Let me let me rephrase that. And abortion is not a healthy way to um, treat the reproductive system. It's unnatural. It's, it's taking unnatural. something natural and completely turning it on its head. Exactly. Um, you know, one of the big pieces of the – it's a controversial thing, and this was another thing that I really wanted to talk more about while I was here, um, is um, – the, is the pill, the role that the pill plays in all of this. I mean, mm-hmm. I believe with my whole heart that the pill is a lead creator for abortion. Um, there are people who say that increasing contraceptive access would decrease the prevalence of abortion. That is no. False. Absolutely untrue. The two feed into one another. Abortion is a secondary form of contraception to most people who are actively using contraceptives. Um, so all of these things, I believe, um, are important. We have, we have to shed a light on all these things. And mm-hmm. so for me, I, I want to talk about the woman's reproductive system. Let's talk about it. And let's talk about what a healthy reproductive system actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have found in the, in the time that I have been in the pro-life movement is there is this notion that the choice movement and the abortion movement has put out there that religion cannot possibly be consistent with the science. And I have found that if you delve deeper into the religion and deeper into the science, the truth is that the two go hand in hand. Absolutely. They are 100% consistent with one another. And science can only tell us so much. And the religion, the religious piece, the Catholic piece, so perfectly picks up where the science can no longer explain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I just feel like it makes so much sense that the two go hand in hand. And I think we need to start talking about it that way. We need to start teaching it that way. I mean, we, we just commented that the life movement, there are, there are the list of people who have had a conversion to the Catholic faith in, because of their work in the life movement is so huge. Long. It's people you know. It's Lila Rose. It's Kristen Hawkins. It's Melissa Odin. Be right. It's, yeah, Melissa Odin. I mean, like, the list is long, and it's people you know if you are in the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. And to me, that says everything I need to know about the truth and how once you get a little bit of truth, it's like you just can't help yourself but go the rest of the time. Well, no, and actually the the really big first domino to fall for me was I read Humanae Vitae, mm-hmm. um, a Gospel of Life, the encycl- papal encyclical about um, contraceptives and abortion and how contraceptives actually 
induce this con- this abortive mentality that one follows the other. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, the vast majority of my family is Protestant. And, you know, one of my small victories was um, talking to some of my Protestant cousins and telling them about, you know, the harm that contraception was doing to their body and convincing them that not only was natural family planning good and healthy and normal for them, but, hey, you know, you are involving your spouse in this whole, you know, in this whole discussion. And NFP was actually how I got pregnant. I thought that I had something wrong with me. I didn't. I just didn't understand my reproductive system like you're talking about. And you know, I wasn't supposed to have kids and now I have two daughters and that's all because of, like you said, faith intersecting with science. 100%. So. Well, and I think, I think that it's, it's this fear of religion and this aversion to religion that actually prevents us from looking at mm-hmm. the whole science, quite frankly. I think, mm-hmm. you know, so for example, NFP, everyone, not everyone, the culture says NFP is the rhythm method. That mm-hmm. NFP is based on numbers, that it's ridiculous, that it, the, the, uh, efficacy of nfp is non-existent and it's yeah not true no it's not true and it's and what is so funny to me and also why i felt like there was such a need for so many years that i am a catholic person who was raised catholic who went to catholic schools whose mother sat me down when i got my period and looked me in the eyes and said you only have sex with your husband that's what my life was and i still did not know i still until i was 27 years old i still did not know that I had biological markers in my body every single month telling me where I was at with my cycle, that my cervical mucus was telling me, that my that you know that my body temperature was telling mm-hmm. me when I was ovulating. I had no idea that any of these things were happening because no one ever Nobody knew. knows. Yeah, I had no idea until, you know, I was getting ready for marriage yeah. that any of this, it was just all a mystery. And, um, you know, as... What a lot of people didn't know, my mom, when I converted to Catholicism, she, you know, was like, I need to understand this. I need to know what she's doing. And she, I had told her about reading Humanae Vitae, which again, I recommend everybody read. You can find it online. You don't have to buy it. Just Google it anyway. But she discovered that actually many Protestant denominations had the exact same views as the Catholic Church for years and years and years. And it wasn't until... The, you know, the 20th century, you know, kind of around the time of the sexual revolution that these denominations fell away from that. And she realized, oh, my goodness, they are exactly right. She read Humanae Vitae, understood this, this, you know, how abortion is connected to all of these other issues and suddenly said, hey, you know, these these Catholics aren't insane. They actually know what they're talking about. It's amazing. And the thing, one of the things that continues to blow my mind, I haven't even gotten through my whole list of books that I, that I own that I want to read about it. But when you go back to the, the beginnings of, I mean, let's be, let's be like totally honest. The beginnings of the abortion movement in the United States were true, were really the beginnings of the population control movement. Mm-hmm. Population control was the driver for abortion from the very beginning. Larry Lauder later in life, I know his last name, L-A-D-E-R. He was one of the guys who started Planned Parenthood with Margaret Sanger. This guy was a vehement population control proponent, um, and he has written books upon books upon books on why we need to control the population. And not only has he written books about that, he's also written books about why the Catholic Church is evil and ruining the world for everybody else. And I just, again, I think it's funny how these things go hand in hand. When you have an enemy of truth, um, it just, it's pervasive. Yes, it poisons everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Dress. Have you read Carrie Dress's book, The Anti-Marriage 
Uh, no, I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you had her on this podcast one time, didn't you? Yeah. 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 No, that's one of those books that is sitting. I, yeah, I have this stack of books, like literally about two feet high on the floor by my bedside table. And I read a little bit here and a little yeah. bit there. Is it really? Yeah. So it's, it's in the stack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, no, I'm, I mean, I'm like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a dense book, but mm-hmm. it's so worth the read because she really delves into the connections between abortion and Marxism. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and you know, the, the early feminist, not the early feminist movement, but like the, how is it the second wave feminist, um, you know, like the 70s sexual revolution feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this stuff is so connected and really what it did and really what it, I, I believe continues to do is it, it rips the dignity away from the person mm-hmm. in every facet of life and tells them that religion is a lie, but subsequently makes religion the government or, you know, like the communal, the communal good, whatever it may be. It's, yeah, yeah well, and that's. Carrie says it far better than I am. Yeah, no, I'll I'll definitely move that to the top of the stack. But that's so funny. Actually, my husband and I, he's he was a history major and still is about everything history. He's a lawyer. I swore I'd never marry a lawyer and God laughed. Anyway, but yeah, we were talking about this the other day and he said, you know, if you look at the communist Marxist movement, every place where it's taken hold, the first thing they always do is legalize abortion. And we were talking about the ramifications of that. And it's exactly like you said, they want to strip away dignity. They want to make government God. They want complete control. And this is a way to control women. This is a way for men to control women is through the abortion issue. And, you know, women claim that they're free because of abortion, but they're just enslaved. 100%. Enslaved. And not only that, I think that the feminist movement that promotes abortion has lost sight of what actually makes women feminine. Exactly. Exactly. To me, I just feel like, yeah, I mean, it's it's just funny. I mean, we could talk about this forever, but Mm -hmm. it's just funny how some of these feminists on the more liberal side, how they want so much to live the way men live. Like, mm-hmm. my, my thing is, like, if you're going to be a feminist, do it because you love being a woman, not because you wish you were a man. Exactly. And that's what frustrates me about about the feminist movement. And I know we're, I know we're kind of making our way back to um, a feminist movement that's more Catholic in nature, but a friend of mine said something a couple of years ago that just deeply resonated with me to take us back to this. Catholic piece, he said, we don't need to be feminists because we're already Catholic. Mm-hmm. And that is just so true when you look at what the Catholic Church has said about women from the very beginning. I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, like Jason Everett says it so well. He talks about G- Genesis and he talks about the, the creation story of women and, and he describes the creation of women as being the crescendo of creation. That, mm-hmm. n- that she was like the grand finale, that nothing that God created received applause and awe from Adam the way that the creation of the woman did. And for me, I just feel like, why is this, why is that message getting lost? Like, why is it that the first chapter of the Bible honors the woman and people just continue to suppress as though the Mm -hmm. Catholic church has nothing good to say about women? Mary, mother of God. Yeah, no, I just, well, yeah. I mean, it goes back to my friend who, the radical feminist who became a Catholic because she realized, you know, just exactly what your friend did. You don't, there's no need to be a feminist if you're Catholic. So yeah, you had told me that story before and that quote, just like totally, I was awestruck by that quote too. That is so, so true. So um, anyway, so we are talking to Mary Kate Knorr, the founder of Femine Vero, former executive director of Illinois Right to Life. Um, 
and we will continue our conversation in just a moment. With so much happening right now with the abortion debate and the upcoming opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, you really need to know what's going on minute by minute. And the best way to do that is to follow Illinois Right to Life on social media. It's really easy to find us on Facebook and Instagram. Both of our accounts are simply Illinois Right to Life. So if you haven't already, please follow us today to get the very, very latest information about what's happening with the life issues in Illinois and what you can do to help. We are continuing our conversation with Mary Kate Knorr, former executive. Okay, Savannah, let me start again. We are continuing our conversation with Mary Kate Knorr, the former executive director. I can't talk anymore. Okay, Savannah, one more time. Third time's the charm. We are talking with Mary Kate Knorr, the former executive director of Illinois Right to Life and the founder of Femine Vero, which is a much, much needed voice in the pro-life movement. Um, Mary Kate's been telling us a little bit about the organization. So um, what's, what's next for you guys? What, is your, what are your, your goals in the coming year or years? Yeah. basically a competition among um, innovators and entrepreneurs who come to the table and say, I have this idea. And um, OSB runs them through almost like coursework mm-hmm. um, to kind of help that idea, you know, flesh it out and build it up. And at the end, they award, um, I believe it's five participants with $100,000. Oh, wow. To, yeah, to move forward with their plan for their, for their idea, for their project. And so we just found out, we submitted a, Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, it, would, it would target 7th and 8th grade girls, roughly, mm-hmm. um, middle school girls, with um, education that brings together their reproductive health, their biology, with theology of the body, which is the theology of the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our goal is to educate girls on what's happening in their bodies, what God had planned for them, mm-hmm. um, you know, just what all of this means, and then also how can they care for themselves. Um, the book that, when, when I go out and share this with my friends that we're doing this and other women, the book that kind of goes back, uh, that we kind of point to, at least for my generation, is The Care and Keeping of You, mm-hmm. which was like a book, I don't know if you ever maybe used that with your daughters, it was a, a book that the American girl... Yes, actually, yes, we wrote. we did have th- that book made it to our house somehow, yeah. yeah. Sure. I feel like every girl... Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, the care and keeping of you. So we would really, we really just want to have something like that. But obviously, we'll be more involved in that. But something like that out there for girls and for their parents. I mean, mm-hmm. I think parents, um, parents and teachers, educators are really the audience here. Because we just want there to be something, something that they can hold in their hands that will tell these girls, like, 
what's happening in your body is beautiful and this is what God had planned when, mm-hmm. when he created all of this for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been working on that for a few months. It's been, um, it's been one of our primary goals for Feminine Zero. Feminine Zero just turned a year old in Oh, wow. I didn't, I thought it had been around longer than that. Oh, wow. Well, happy one year anniversary. Yeah, so. Thank you. It's been, I mean, it's just been very fast moving. I think uh-huh. we just, once we knew we wanted to go, we just kind of took off running with it. Um, yeah. So we, we just turned a year old in January and um, this is a project that we've talked about from the very beginning and something that my, my sister actually um, really was passionate about and was really why she wanted to move forward with Seventy Zero. She's our co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we're working on that curriculum, and we recently, um, recently, I guess October or November, started having conversations with a publisher um, about it because we just really felt like we have the scientific knowledge. Um, we where we're lacking is really in the uh, what is, what should a curriculum, a really well written curriculum, look like? You know, what's the structure of a curriculum, and how do we present the information in a way that is palatable for and is teachable for teachers and is, you know, digestible for parents. Um, and we reached out to a publisher initially looking for advice, and mm-hmm. they kind of came back and were, were like, yes, we want to partner with you on this. Oh, that's so exciting. But yeah, which is really exciting. So we're still in the in the process with, with them of kind of working out what that looks like, which is why I can't share who they are. But mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's really, really exciting stuff, and we're just really grateful to be, you know, in addition to that, to be out there educating women and I go speak to high schools and I speak to retreats and Mm -hmm. we held a retreat of our own last fall. And so we're just, yeah, just kind of going where the Lord leads us. Well, no, I was just about to say, it sounds like God is really blessing you and directing your path. And so, yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations. So, so I also, while we've got you wanted to get your opinion. So, you know, we are still in Illinois and we are in an election year and we're also, um, for all of the old timers like me, we're, um, in a, a situation that I never thought I would see in our lifetime. We're facing the possibility that, um, Roe versus Wade could be significantly rolled back or even overturned. So, um, as someone who used to have my job and someone who's still an Illinois resident and someone who's very pro-life, what is your read on the current situation? You know, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is the the path forward for Illinois? Yeah. When you mentioned to me before we started recording that you were going to ask me about this, I started kind of laughing in my head because my fiance and I, um, we laugh about this a lot. He has told me, so we, I guess side story about my personal life, we met at church just about two, it'll be, it'll be three years ago this summer. It'll be, it'll be two years ago this summer that we met. Wow. That's kind of funny. In 20, um, oh, so you met about the time that you were leaving this job. I, yeah. We met about the time I was leaving this job. Uh-huh. And he told me recently, so this is present time, present moment. He told me recently that before we met, he and I were friends on Facebook. We had a lot of mutual friends for mm-hmm. years before we ever met. And he told me recently that maybe two years ago, I had posted something on Facebook about, I assume while I was the executive director of Illinois Right to Life, about how Roe v. Wade would be overturned within five years. And he said he read that post and said to himself, that chick is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> now we're engaged and getting married in August. And, and he realizes how right you were. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The moral of the story, the moral of the story, Amy, is that I was totally right. No, uh-huh. I, I, but I think that that wasn't just like my own knowledge. I think all of us in the 
seen the writing on the wall over the last few years, especially mhm. as, I mean, God bless America for the fact that we did have a conservative president in office, you know, say what you will about Trump, but, um, I mean, he put one through three justices right. on the Supreme Court, and yep. I think these three people are going to be the reason that D.C. will be able to change in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in, in and of itself is such a blessing, but I believe with my whole heart that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. I mean, there are people out there who say that, you know, like, that Gorsuch or that Kavanaugh, I mean, even even Coney Barrett, people suggest that they are, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing or that this is a guise or mm-hmm. that I just, I think that's absurd. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, um, well, no, and Steve Jacobs on our team actually makes it, a really good point that I don't think a lot of people understand that the central holding of Roe versus Wade was the viability standard. And by upholding the Texas heartbeat law, the court has basically already done away with the central holding of Roe versus Wade, which is the viability standard. So in essence, Roe has kind of already been overturned. And like you said, the handwriting is on the wall. And yeah, I'm sure you had the same experience I did the night. I mean, God rest her soul. The night that we found out that Ruth, that she had passed. It was like, oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, I'll never forget that night for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, my husband and I were sitting at dinner and we just looked at each other and had the same thought. We were like, this is it. This, yeah. this is it. This, yeah, truly, this is it. And I, I think that that is true. I mean, but of course, the real headline is not so much that Roe will be overturned. It's everything that's going to come after that. It, no, you are absolutely right. And, um, you know, while this is absolutely a moment to celebrate here in Illinois because of the Reproductive Health Act. um, We're in an incredibly perilous position. It'll, you know, not only will it be business as usual the next day after this decision comes down, it will actually be a lot more business in this state as far as the abortion industry is concerned. And um, yeah, so, so what do we do? American mm-hmm. politics in that regard, and I remember, I don't, this may have been, it was the last event that I spoke at, like, when we were at Church before I, before I left, but I remember sharing with everyone at the time, and this is still how I feel, that we are going to have such a special responsibility in our state when um, Roe is overturned, because all of these women are going to be coming to us to get abortions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, once they realize the, you know, the, 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 gra- like the weight, the gravity of what they've gravity, done. Yeah. yeah. The gravity of what it is they've done. And, um, I, that's been also, I think a big part of what my thoughts have been with Feminine Bureau is that truth is like just such a bomb. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's hard to hear, but I think once it settles in, the Lord is just so merciful and so kind to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so forgiving. And, I just really believe that in Illinois, that's what the movement is called to be for women. We are just called to be this place of mercy and healing that all of these women. 
who are safe to kill their children Mhm that once they see the horror of what they've done were able to then I think turn them to the Lord like [inaudible 2:11:37.80] Mhm That's what I believe and [noise] again like I think you know I mentioned that our mission at Family Zero is evangelization I really believe that that is in large part why the like movement has done such an incredible job of evangelizing Uh huh whether they wanted that or not because [noise] It is so uh um because that's what the life mission is the life mission is that soft place to land that's merciful and kind healing to women Mhm who realize the gravity of what they've done after they've had an abortion and I think that's what we're called to do in Ireland Yeah No that is such an outstanding point and I do think that that's something that gets lost a lot of the time I was actually on a meeting just this morning with a bunch of people uh from downstate and one of them had heard the rumor that um the the new resource center that the Hope Clinic and the Fairview Heights Clinic put together down in that neck of the woods that if you come to Illinois and they pay for your you know they've covered your costs and so forth that if you change your mind about having the abortion they take away your plane ticket back home and you have no way back home so Yeah Wow I know I know that's uh the I mean shocking but also is it shocking because coercion has been part of the story from the beginning but that's pretty cold Right you know it's like I've said for oh my gosh twenty five years now I mean just when you think that the abortion industry can't shock you anymore it always does it always does so you know I I you know I have to you know caution everybody I don't have solid verification of that we're working really hard to you know see exactly what these women sign and exactly what they commit to but we have reason to believe that that is what's happening and um uh you know they they've talked to women who've said that and I wouldn't be surprised Exactly there is abs yeah and we all know there's absolutely no choice when it comes to the pro choice movement it's all coercion it's all you know forcing women to So anyway well you have definitely given I'm sure every pro life advocate something to think about that you know we Obviously, saving babies and stopping the advancing culture of death is our priority, but having that soft place for women to land because they are so in need of love and mercy and somebody to acknowledge their pain mm-hmm. after going through this experience. So, yeah, absolutely. anyway. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for coming in. It's always good to see you. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway. So you have been listening to Life Chat, the podcast of Illinois Right to Life. Um, We hope you'll join us again next time. And thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.